Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hi everyone, it's Klaatu here. This episode I want to talk about rune magic. Runes are fascinating to me. I first heard about them ever in my whole life in J.R.R. Tolkien's books, and I thought as a kid that he made them up. And it wasn't until a lot later than I realized that they were things that existed uh, well before Tolkien. So I've always been intrigued by runes, but I think more broadly, I really like the idea of bringing to a Dungeons & Dragons game or a world of magic this kind of specialized, hyper-specialized, tangible system that invokes magic, sort of not necessarily from the inner core of your being, but from something that you know, and maybe that is empowered by some other force. And and you could debate that that's what magic is, and, and so on, but I just mean that I like this idea of being able to really hand out to a player or a character a little ability specific to something that they have learned and that they have skill in. And I feel like runes represent that. And for the new players, I think that that, as I was saying, the, the, the recognition factor of runes is really actually quite useful, because if you hand a bunch of spell cards to people, unless they're, they're, they're very sort of graphically inclined spell cards, which a lot are not, then, then it's almost just as confusing as handing a book of spells to someone. It, you know, it's a little bit narrowed down, because they only have maybe five or six or ten cards, but it can still be overwhelming. And if you wanted to keep something really simple for maybe a one-shot, I could imagine giving someone a, a, a couple of runes to choose from and have those runes represent different magical attacks. Kind of like The Witcher, if you've ever played The Witcher video game. You have about four different runes, and they they produce about four different magical effects. And that's it. That's your magic casting ability. I don't think it would work so well for a full-fledged wizard or sorcerer, but for that kind of hybrid fighter wizard class, this could be a cool witcher-like variation. And as a mechanic in a game, I feel like it's a great way to upgrade objects, because I feel like a lot of times in a Dungeons & Dragons game or in a, a book... Well, in a game, I feel like you get a a sword or something, and it serves you well until you find a better sword, and then you toss that sword. And that's kind of the the life cycle of of weapons in a Dungeons & Dragons game. And in books, I, I find a lot of times that the sword is sort of an Excalibur analogy or analog and and it, it, it is what it is, and it stays pretty much static the entire time. There are exceptions, but that's one of those things that I kind of feel is, is pretty typical. And I like the idea of finding something and letting it progress with the character, so it grows more powerful with the character. And one way to, to, to make that manifest is by inscribing a rune on it, or in setting a, a, a magical gem, which I'll get to in a later episode. So rune magic, the, the, uh, the way that I started thinking about it most recently, was in a Cobalt Press release called Rune Magic. 
This is written by Chris Harris, and it is, as I say, published by Cobalt Press. And from what I understand, it is an imprint sort of of open design, which I don't really know what that means. I mean, open design is the company. I'm not sure if open design exists anymore, but Cobalt Press is the thing that you've you may have heard of. And if not, then it is a company, I think I've mentioned it on this show earlier on, but it's a company that is run by Wolfgang Bauer, who, you you may not know the name Wolfgang Bauer, but you know Wolfgang Bauer. He, he's been writing for D&D and Pathfinder for years and years and years, and he has written some of the best content out there. It's really kind of amazing. I think most recently he, he wrote some D&D modules uh, within the, I think the Tyranny of Dragons series, possibly. But yeah, he's been around for a while, he knows his stuff, and he consistently puts out pretty much, well, just amazing, amazing content. So there's a series of books that he's put out called Deep Magic, and it covers a couple of different realms. There's Deep Magic, Angelic Seals and Wards, Deep Magic Battle Magic, Deep Magic Clockwork, magic, deep magic illumination magic, and then deep magic rune magic. And the rune magic is the one that I want to talk about here because of reasons I've just explained to you. So first, I'm going to talk a little bit about how rune magic can integrate into a game or a world, I guess, if your world is being derived from experiences you have in a game, which is not uncommon. To use rune magic in your game, you must acquire the rune knowledge feat. Now, if your game is not using feats, so in 5th edition, feat the, the the existence of feats is an optional rule, so it's quite possible that someone's playing in a 5th edition game that doesn't do feats, then it is suggested that you can gain rune knowledge in place of a level-based ability score improvement, subject, obviously, to the DM's approval. And what is the rune knowledge feat? Well, it is a prerequisite of Wisdom 12 or higher, and it says that you are wise in the lore of two runes of your choice. You always have access to their rune bonuses. In addition, every day you can invoke one rune power for each rune you've learned, provided you meet any other requirement, such as a minimum level. You can select this feat multiple times. Each time you do, you gain the bonus and powers of two additional runes of your choice. So right there, there's a big exception, which is that you can select this feat multiple times, because normally feats you can only select once, unless the feat says otherwise. So this is one of those feats that actually does say otherwise. There's another feat called Rune Mastery, with a prerequisite of Rune Knowledge. And this one says, you have mastered the secret powers of one ancient rune. Choose one rune that you already learned through Rune Knowledge. Once per day, you can invoke one of its Rune Mastery powers. You can select this feat multiple times. Each time you do, you learn the rune mastery powers of a different rune from your repertoire. And that's it, really. That's rune magic in terms of the system. Now, the neat thing about this is that there are a bunch of runes to choose from. And this is perfect, because you can print this out. It's maybe... let's see how long this booklet is. It's 22 pages of content. 20 pages of content, actually. About half of it are runes, and then about half of it are spells relating to the runes that you've learned. So you can print this out and give it to your players, whoever may be versed in rune, or you could make it such an important thing in your in your campaign or your story 
that they would all need to know runes, and it would all it would be relevant to everyone. And it's a very visual kind of way for them to pick and choose their specialties. And to make it even better, the runes are visual. They are their own icons. So you can just jot down as a player which runes you have as a reminder that, oh yeah, I've got this special rune power that I can invoke. What was that special rune power again? And then you can look it up in the mere 20 or 18 or whatever it is pages. Well, really eight pages of runes or whatever, and and cross-reference and, and, and know what you can do. I think it's a, a brilliant little system. It's really nice. There are, um, yeah, a couple of different runes, and it's kind of weird to talk about them, I guess, because you can't see them. They're not all that fancy. I mean, they're classic runes, right? They're pretty easy to draw. They're pretty iconic. And they each have a little a diff- different flavor to them. So, for instance, here's Algiz, or Algiz, A-L-G-I-Z, Elk and Reindeer, Evading Danger, the god Heimdall. Rune bonus, you can make an Elk Horn Wand, see new magic items later in this book, in 6 hours and you gain a plus 1 bonus on initiative checks. Your rune power at 5th level is living creatures that are within 10 feet of an Algiz rune. When it is etched on the ground or on a wall, gain a plus 2 bonus on wisdom perception checks, and have advantage on saving throws against sleep and other magical effects for that uh, effects that cause unconsciousness. Both effects last for 8 hours. Scribing the rune itself takes 15 minutes. Rune mastery power at 8th level, marking a creature with the algae's Algiz, Algiz, rune transforms the creature into an elk or reindeer, as per polymorph. Drawing the rune on the creature takes one action, and the change lasts while you concentrate up to one hour. So that's that's a sample of of one of the runes, for instance. Here's here's another one. This is um this of course would be one of my favorites. It is a winter spell or a winter rune. It is the Hagalaz. Hail and winter weather. Rune bonus, you have advantage on wisdom survival checks made to accurately predict weather conditions for the next 24 hours in your vicinity. Now that's pretty unspectacular, but there's more. Rune power is spending one action tracing Hagalaz on a willing creature grants it protection from energy, cold, while you concentrate up to one hour. Rune mastery power, ninth level. When sketched on the ground under the open sky, Hagalaz conjures a sleet storm centered on a point of the rune maker's choosing within 150 feet. Sketching the rune takes four rounds, and the storm lasts while you concentrate up to two minutes. And then a rune mastery power at 14th level is when sketched on the ground within the area of a magical storm caused by sleet storm, ice storm, control weather, hail and blizzard only, or comparable magic, Hagalaz acts as a dispel magic spell with a 7th level slot. If the storm being dispelled is from 8th or 9th level magic, the rune maker uses charisma as his or her spellcasting ability to test the rune's effectiveness. Sketching the rune takes two rounds. And then finally, mastery power 14th level. When sketched on the ground within the area of a natural non-magical storm, Hagalaz has the effect of a control weather spell. Sketching the rune takes one hour, and the control lasts while you concentrate for up to eight hours. And you get the idea. I'm gonna... I can't possibly read all of them. There are about eight pages filled with runes, with about that much description, so it's it's only maybe six, five or six runes per page, so we're probably talking about 36 runes total to choose from, and that's just kind of the runes that your character knows, and some of the associated powers. In addition to runes, later in the book, on about page 10 or so, there are 
a few rituals that tie in thematically with rune magic. They don't actually rely on specific runes, but a lot of them involve, or could involve, runes. So, for instance, Curse of the Wild Moon, a transmutation ritual, takes 90 minutes to cast. You trace runes in a circle around a sacrificial animal and a bound target chanting courtesies and praises to the old ways and the wildness hidden in all as a lunar eclipse signals that the witching hour approaches by creating a circle of arcane and wild natural glyphs from powdered silver, sacrificing an animal and sprinkling its blood onto a target while imploring the spirits of the wild and old ways to heed your call, you transform a living creature into a lycanthrope. So there you go. You can turn other creatures into lycanthropes, and you can choose which kind of lycanthrope they they become. It, it depends on what animal you sacrifice along with it. A bear, wolf, boar, whatever. Now, an unwilling target, if you're doing this to an unwilling creature, then they are driven to hunt and slay the person who conducted the ritual. Not really an offensive, probably, spell, or ritual, rather. But, but it could be a, a real boost for some players who want to embrace their wild side. After the ritual section, and the ritual section's pretty small, I think there are only about four rituals, there's a big spell list. So from page, I don't know, 12 until 18 or 20 or so, it's, it's all new spells. Well, no, I think some of the later pages are spell items, but yeah, there, there's a good number of spells. And once again, it's a good variety of levels for a lot of different classes. Really, really nice to have. Not as great, I wouldn't say, as, for instance, for, for my purposes, some of the smaller spell lists, because I just love handing spell lists out to, to, to players. But it's really good, because it is manageable. You can print it out, hand it to people, and then they've got a full sort of set of spells that are thematically grouped together for, presumably, I mean, if you've handed it to them, th that, that apply to their class. And there are some really neat ones in here. I mean, there, there are couple of, of just variations on on standard themes. For instance, there's the the um, freezing fog. So it's it's basically like fog cloud, except that within the cloud there is two uh, d6 cold damage and a gaining of one level of exhaustion. Successful constitution saving throw halves the damage and prevents exhaustion. That kind of thing. Nothing's nothing's wrong with that, but it's 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 basically a variation on a theme. But there are some other ones that are that are new to me at least, and and ripe for abuse probably. Hearth charm, for instance, first level transmutation, casting time one action, range twenty five feet, verbal and somatic components, duration twenty four hours. The spell makes flammable material burn twice as long as normal. Now. If you're thinking what I'm thinking, I see that as a boost spell. One one of your pals sets an enemy on fire, and then you cast Hearth Charm on the thing that is on fire, and now it burns twice as long as, as normal. Especially if it's magical fire that can't just be extinguished. That, I mean, that's just where my, my head went. I mean, maybe that's not legit, maybe the DM wouldn't allow it. It's what I'd try, though. A couple of other good ones. Loki's Gift. First level enchantment. Loki's gift makes even the most barefaced lie seem strangely plausible. Jotun's jest. Giants never tire of having fun with this spell. It causes a weapon or other item to vastly increase in size, temporarily becoming sized for a gargantuan creature. The item weighs 12 times its original weight, and in most circumstances cannot be used effectively by creatures smaller than gargantuan size. The item retains its usual qualities, including magical spells and effects, and returns to normal size when the spell ends. I think that's 
pretty fun one. I'm, I'm not sure if anyone would ever really be able to use it, but who knows? If you're trying to render something not usable, and yet you don't want to destroy the item, then this actually seems really, really useful. Now, it's only, it only, the duration is only for one minute, so I'm not sure how useful it would be. If it was, like, for 12 hours or something, I could see that, that being a really great way to literally hide something in plain sight. I mean, you're not hiding at all, but it's functionally useless. Not this day, 5th level abjuration. Duration 24 hours. You mark the target's body with a unique rune that represents their fate. The rune protects against death from either a specific damage, damage type, like slashing, poison, fire, radiant, or a category of creature, like giant, beast, elemental, monstrosity, that must be named when the spell is cast. For the next 24 hours, the target has advantage on saving throws involving that type of damage or creature, including death saving throws, if the attack that dropped the target to zero hit points is covered by this spell. A character can be under the effect of only a single not-this-day rune at one time. A single casting on the same target cancels the pre-existing. That seems really useful, but I, I do kind of fear like maybe it's one of those that isn't actually really useful. Because even when you're in a, a den of... I don't know, vampires, and you, you use a protection rune against all vampires, then you just kind of know that the, you know, the, the way things happen, you're going to encounter the one werewolf in the, in the haunted mansion, and it's going to kill you. And even though you're surrounded by 20 vampires, it's just, that's how things happen. And then finally on page 19 and, I don't know, 20, 23, there are a couple of magic items and a few new conditions like snow blindness, frostbite, and hypothermia, which I love. I think that the uh, frostbite and hypothermia one, I just, I feel like frostbite is not given enough, not given enough time in D&D at all, honestly. I think that, that frostbite is one of those, I mean, it's, it's a serious actual kind of damage that cold can do that generally just gets glossed over. We just say it's cold damage. Not that I want descriptions of frostbite or anything like that, but it, it is indicative of just how damaging cold damage can be. So there's a lot in here in Rune Magic, and I'm 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 obviously, as I always seem to do, I'm 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 focusing in on the on the ice parts of things. It's it's not really all about ice. It it is it has a lot of a lot of different flavor. It does it does favor the north a little bit just because of the runic origins of of the concept, but it it, it has other stuff in it: undead, lycanth lycanthropes, and so on, giants, all that stuff. So it's um it's a good it's a good collection of of new magic. It's a good collection of flavored magic, so that if you've got a player who who knows that they are interested in this thing, then they can you can print that out and hand it to them, and then they have access to it right in front of them, and it's not overwhelming. It's not a big book of spells that are spread all over the place. It's, it's fairly focused. I like that kind of thing. And then finally, I feel like it's a great way to increase things a little bit at a time. Rather than giving a whole new sword, which is valid, that's fine, but instead of doing that, why not give them a rune that they can inscribe on an object to, in, to, to bestow that object with additional powers? Little, little piecemeal upgrades like that, I think, are pretty neat. And certainly, if you really integrate it in, then there could be different purpose-built runes that would really suit a very diverse campaign quite well, because chances are they aren't going to only come up against 
lycanthropes. They're going to come up against some giants, too. But then later on, they're going to not be in the north, and the snow isn't going to be a problem, and cold isn't going to be a problem. So here's this other rune that's good for warm weather. Things like that. I think it's 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 a nice little system to integrate into into D and D. I would I would love more on this. I could do a I I would I would love to see a lot more about runic magic and and just as a system for for microtransactions in D and D. That's I, I think that's not a bad idea. You should check this out. Go to coboldpress.com. Do a search for deep magic and take a look at what they've got to offer because they're all really really good. Well worth a couple of bucks. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.